I looked at my daughter Anna and I said, how in the world do we end up in such stupidity? Now, some of you have heard this story before, but at one time, I believed the best way to get rid of an old hot tub was to burn it. If you've ever tried or thought, what is it like to get rid of a hot tub you don't want anymore? It's really, really hard. Just Google it. And so I decided we would burn our hot tub that no longer worked. It was there when we purchased the house and worked for some time and then broke down. And so we're going to get rid of this hot tub. And as we rolled it uh, end over end down the hill behind our house to a big fire pit, I was thinking this is going to be a magnificent display of redneck joy at the bottom of our hill. And then I made the mistake of lighting the hot tub upside down. And so the fire from the plastic and smoke just sort of billowed underneath until we could literally feel the ground around us getting hot. And I began to understand as flames began to come out of the top of this hot tub, this massive oven in the middle of the forest behind our house, and flames were going up, it dawned on me, this is, this is a toxic bomb of plastic that could actually kill our whole neighborhood at this point. And so we put the fire out, and then we began to saw this hot tub up into really small pieces. Austin Paget came over and helped me with this. And then we dropped it one piece at a time through various dumpsters around Richmond. And then a few months later, I walked up to the charred wood and leftover pile of stuff that was just laying there, insulation that had been around the hot tub and and I felt as if I had been cheated of a really good fire. And so I was looking, I said, this should be safe now. I can burn the rest of the material here. And then as I set this pile of wood and insulation on fire in mid-July, as everything else was dry around it, I began to panic because this fire was growing and growing and growing and beginning to spread in the wood around the pile. But then I remembered that there was a storm coming and I was checking the radar and I thought, okay, I've got about five minutes of this anxiety and then there's going to be rain that comes and puts all of this fire out. Well, when the rain came, it began to rush down our hill into this pit and the pit began to fill up with water around the fire that had been there. And the fire never went out. It just kind of raised to the top of this pool of water. And it looked like almost like a cartoon. I think there's a Mickey Mouse cartoon about this or, or a scene in it that looks like this. And this, this fire began to circle round and round like a whirlpool until flames of ember and wood began to shoot off the backside of our property. And if you've ever been to our house, there's like a 100-foot cliff that goes down on the back of our property that looks over Silver Creek. And I stood there as water somehow miraculously was shooting fire and ashes, and burning insulation off of this cliff through trees down to Silver Creek. And I looked at Anna and said, how in the world do we get ourselves into such stupidity? We almost burned West Madison County down today. James Taylor has a song that says, I've seen fire and I've seen rain. I have seen fire and rain at the same time, in the same moment. But how do we get ourselves into such stupidity? And, and in our house... The answer to that question is, well, we started a fire. That's normally how that question is answered. But we could actually answer that question the same for most of our stupidity. How did I get myself into this mess? And so often the answer is, I started a fire. But not in our backyard, in our mouth, with our tongue with our words, 
It leads us to such stupidity. We think we can control it, but it is a fire we cannot control. This is why James begins the section that we're looking at today in verse 1 by calling us to have reverence for the tongue. Notice verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James refers to the teachers in the church, pastors and leaders and shepherds who at this time were taking the place of rabbis who were honored and highly regarded by the Jewish community. And now we have the church and you have fishermen and you have tax collectors. Uh, you have businessmen who are standing up as apostles and teachers and they are preaching the gospel. And many wanted to get in on the action. Many began to think, we can teach just like James, just like Peter. We can teach. And James says, hold on. Not many of you should become teachers. Which means most of you should not become teachers. And why is this? For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. He says teachers in the church will be given a heavier sentence before God. The writer of Hebrews refers to pastors as those who watch over the souls of those in the church as those who will give an account before God. We read in Paul's letter to Timothy that he is to show himself a, a, a worker in the Scriptures who rightly unpacks the Word of God because he will have to present himself and his work before God one day. Why would James say, do not become teachers? Because teachers have to use their words. And they have to use a lot of their words. And notice verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. He says we, and he includes himself in this. And here he includes the church. And he says, We all stumble. We all sin. In a lot of different ways. The word stumble means to lose your footing. It means to trip. It means to fall. And James says we're always, always stumbling around in our sin. And it looks different. But it's the same in one area. And it is the area of speech. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. We sin mostly with our words. And the one who does not sin with his speech could say, I'm perfect. Meaning, if you have the power and ability and discipline to control your tongue, you would have the power and discipline to control your whole body, to control everything. That is the power of the tongue. That is the out-of-control nature of the tongue. And that is why he says you must have reverence for it, especially if you are going to consider yourself a teacher. Meaning you're going to use your words to influence others. Especially referring to pastors and teachers in the church here. There is grave danger of sinning with your words. And as a teacher, you constantly use your words. So you are in danger of sinning much. So beware when you desire to influence others with your words. You are treading. You must not tread lightly. And he says there must be a reverence for teaching the Word of God because of the danger 
of sinning with your words. Think about the number of words in a sermon. The number of words used in counseling, shepherding, discipleship. He says, why in the world would you want to do that? Knowing we sin most of all and most often with our words. So be careful in desiring that. But this is also a word for all of us, especially in our present day culture. You today need no credentials to try and influence others. All you need is a TikTok account. All you need is a, an iPhone. And you can post your thoughts. You can post your words. You can post your opinions all over the place to influence others. Hey, y'all, me again. How often do you hear that? We all think we can be teachers. We all, in whatever influence, great or small, are longing to influence others. No matter how many likes we get, no matter how many followers we have, we all desire that on some level. And James says, be careful. Be careful in the amount of words you want to use in your life. Be careful in longing to want to use your words because there's great danger in there because that's where we sin the most. And he continues here in talking about words and talking about speech. And next we see him describe how small things move massive things. Notice verse 3. He says, we put bits in the mouth of horses so that they obey us. And we guide their whole bodies as well. He says the use of the tongue, the use of words, the use of speech is like guiding a horse. This 900 pound animal that is full of force and power and might. We put a small piece of metal in its mouth and we can do whatever we want to with it. This small piece of metal controls its whole body in its mouth pressing against its tongue this small item controls this massive thing and then in verse 4 he talks about ships though they are large and these are massive ships that he's describing here and they are driven by strong winds it takes massive winds to to move these ships around and yet, what is directing them? What is guiding them? He says here, a very small rudder guides it wherever it will. It pilots it. It directs it. The massive ship that needs strong wind is moved by this small instrument that you don't even see on the boat. And then in verse 5, he says, also the tongue is a small member. It's a small member of the body, and yet it boasts great things. Like a bit in a horse's mouth, like a rudder on a ship that you can't even see. Your tongue controls, guides, and moves massive things on a regular basis. The small part of your body moves and controls massive things and he says it boasts great things it accomplishes much there is much to be given good and bad credit to the tongue this again is why you must have reverence for the tongue understanding it moves and guides massive things God created everything with words let there be light, and there was. Satan destroyed everything with words. Did God really say? Your words move massive things constantly. Words today spoken and written and sung in this room will literally affect the lives of people 100 years from now. Things that you think, things that you say today 
will affect your great, 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 great grandchildren. Your words are massively important. Things that you say shape people's lives. Today, words from here will affect your thoughts about God for the rest of your life. Words spoken today will affect your understanding of your speech. Hopefully the rest of your life. That's what we want. Doctrine, experience, the way you see reality is affected by words. Parents, your words will be like fingerprints on your children the rest of their life. Words you say to them today, they will remember and will affect them the rest of their life. And James says there's a fine line between good words and bad words. There's a fine line in the lives of your kids between them having to go to counseling or them having confidence the rest of their life. The difference in a word, the difference in a phrase, the difference in a statement, I love you. I am proud of you. That was stupid. You're an idiot. What are you thinking? You moron. That's pathetic. You're a loser. The, the line between good and bad words that shape people's lives and move things, massive things, is very fine. That's why he says, as verse 5 continues, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. One little word can wreak havoc. One little word can create glorious things. One little word can burn it down. And so be careful with your words. Be careful with your words. They can be like a small spark in a fire, a forest that is set ablaze. And rapidly beyond your control, you can't do anything about it after the word is spoken. It's there and it's wreaking havoc and destruction. It's like a spark that sets a forest on fire. And then he gets personal in verse 6. As he begins to explain, words destroy things quickly. They move massive things. Be careful in using your words, especially if you're going to be a teacher. Because verse 6 our words condemn us. Notice he says, and the tongue is a fire. It's like this small fire that can set a forest ablaze. And the tongue is a fire. And then he explains a world of unrighteousness. And what he means by this is most unrighteousness in the world begins with a thought begins with an idea, a sinful thought, a sinful idea that is ultimately expressed. Words in your head lead to sin and unrighteousness. And the world is full of unrighteousness. And so the world is full of unrighteousness that has come from words and most of them, most of the time, are expressed sinfully. Sinful words. You will use 860 million words in your life. Most people will. Most of us here today will. 860 million words. How many will you be used for God's glory? If you had to answer the question, what is, what do you use the majority of your words for? God's glory? Or sin? James says, we use our words to create worlds of unrighteousness. Meaning by the time you get to the end of your lifetime, you could fill a planet with your unrighteous words and thoughts. A whole planet. That's the way he's describing the amount of unrighteousness that comes from our words. Words that come from our fits 
sarcastic words, complaints, profanity, lie that comes from our mouths. And, and as, he, as he's explaining here, the, the, the world of unrighteousness that our tongues, that our mouth creates, what he is saying here is your words condemn you because they prove you are unrighteous. When you get to the end of your life, if God just evaluated the things you said, that would be more than enough to send you to 100 hells. That's what James is trying to get at here. A world of unrighteousness comes out of your mouth. Our words also stain us. Notice he continues, the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. Now this instrument that we use to speak, to form words, in our bodies actually most of the time seems out of control. It is the one member of our body that the rest of the body would look at and say, what in the world are you doing? Why are you acting that way? You seem to have a mind of your own. And he is talking about individuals here, but I think there's also a point throughout for the church body. One member in a church's body can ruin the whole church's reputation. The comments, the posts, can ruin this church. The debate can ruin what the rest of this city thinks about Ashland Church. One member can do that. One member in the coffee shop. One member in the line at McDonald's. One member cut off in traffic can stain this whole body. Be careful how you use your tongues. The glory of Christ is at stake. And the way we use our tongues, he says, stains the whole body. It's like the smallest red speck of tomato sauce on a glorious white wedding dress. And you see it so clearly. The bride must have, you know, spilt something on her dress. You see it from across the room. You can see the same thing in your life through your words. One little word can ruin your reputation. One little word can ruin a relationship, can stain it. The most wholesome of relationships, the most healthy of friendships can be ruined by one careless word and stain it and you can't remove it and you can't take it away. It is there forever and you always remember that conversation and you always remember that remark. You always remember that. Family get-togethers. Most of my family get-togethers with my family in Tennessee have been ruined by one word. One statement. And it normally goes like this. Well, that's not the guy you were with last year at Christmas. Yeah, that, that's happened. And everybody is mad. And everybody is frustrated. And everybody says, we ain't coming back next year. Until next year. And then you're back. But it stains the whole thing. It ruins the whole thing. Your words can be a stain on your life. Your words can be a stain on fellowship, relationships. Our words condemn us. Our words stain us. And our tongue works for hell. Notice he continues, setting on fire the entire course of life. And set on fire by hell. He doesn't mince words. Some of y'all think that I'm a little edgy with the things I say. Imagine if you were in James' congregation. Y'all use your tongues for hell. 
set on fire the entire course of life. What he means here is walking around with your words. Walking around with your tongue is like using a flame thrower from hell as you live life. As you turn, it, it blows fire all around. That's what we most often do with our words. From selfish desires in our heart. And he, and he says it's set on fire by hell. The, the course of our life, the way that we walk, how we live our life, is, is characterized by burning a path with our words because we are used by hell itself. Now he uses the word Gehenna here, which refers to the city dump outside of Jerusalem that was constantly smoldering in trash. Items were burnt there. And there was constantly smoke going up and a horrible smell. And the writers of the Bible often use that place as an image to describe hell itself. And the judgment that will happen in hell. Constant torment under God's judgment. A fiery destruction that never ends. And here he says, our words are kindling for hell to light fires with. The same way Satan brought sin into the world. Hell uses our words to destroy things. The garden was glorious. The garden was beautiful. Adam had perfect fellowship with God. Eve had perfect fellowship with God. And what destroyed it all? Words. Words were brought in to burn it all down by the snake. And he will use your words in the same way. The desire to do whatever you want to cause sin and betrayal in the life of others. That desire to promote yourself. That desire to protect yourself. That desire to just be right. That desire to make others hurt with your words. Spoken. Sent in a text. Mumbled behind their back. Those desires hell is waiting to throw gasoline on. So that good things, glorious things, like the garden, like the world God created, will be absolutely destroyed. And the way you talk is like using fire from hell to destroy things. The gossip, the lie, the condemnation, even just the exaggeration that causes people to live in a reality that's not real about themselves, about God, about you. And you create these things with your words that aren't true. And James says, most often we are walking away from conversations like we are walking away from a city behind us that is being burnt down. And we don't care as long as we look good after it's all destroyed. And James says there will be nothing left. It is destroyed. And it's only judgment and it's only torture that you're causing with your tongue. We have all seen marriages destroyed with words. We've seen families destroyed with words. We've seen churches split with words. Hell is waiting to use your words. Do you know how this place will be destroyed? It will be destroyed with words. And this is just a warning for Ashland Church. We love this place. God is doing amazing things here. But one careless word will burn it down. Maybe you didn't even want that to happen. But Satan does. And he will use any word spoken to destroy it all. Notice he continues. Why is this? Because words are like deadly poison. Verse 7. For every kind of beast and bird of, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. He refers back to Genesis here. 
We, male and female, were created to have dominion over the world God placed us in, to rule and reign. Specifically, we see that over the animal kingdom. We can train, we can cage, and we can have dominion in one way or another over every animal in the world, whatever it is, reptile, sea creature, whatever it is. At some point, we can have dominion over it. He says here, when you look at the world and you see these massive creatures, we can put killer wells in tanks and go watch them do flips and stuff. You see that, that's amazing. But that small piece of flesh in your mouth, you can't control. How ridiculous is that? How insane is that? Words, when they come out of your mouth, you, 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 can't, you can't grab them. You can't control them. You can't even see them. And you could stand back and see in amazement the things that mankind can control. Jurassic Park may be the only exception. But he says, why is this? Why can't we control the tongue? Because it is a restless evil. Meaning it never stops. Going back to the previous verse, hell will not relent in using your words to destroy things. And here, the same terminology of this restless evil is also used of Satan, who is a prowling lion, roaming about, seeking to destroy something all the time. And so is your tongue. The selfish desires in your heart that come through speech are constantly looking to destroy something and it's like a wild animal you can't control. Notice he says, full of deadly poison. And this reminds us of the snake. And so he says here, your words are like a venomous snake seeking to destroy but it's hiding in the weeds and it strikes out of nowhere. And its victim has to lay there and suffer and die. How often have you just had to sit in the agony of your own words? I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I sent that text. I can't believe I posted that. I can't believe I commented in that way. I can't believe in that moment I let my emotions and my frustration get the best of me and I was short and I was disrespectful and I was cruel and I was harsh and I was sarcastic. And then you're almost like a victim who's been bitten by a snake and you just have to lay there and die in agony because you can't reverse what is going on with the word that is spoken. It is like a venomous snake seeking to destroy something. And then you have to lay there and watch it kill and things die. It's full of deadly poison. Your tongue is also a hypocrite. Notice verse 9. This will end well, the sermon. I know some of you are like, good gracious, alive. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This is the climax of sin that is performed by the tongue, is that we bless our Lord and Father, we praise God, we have reverence before God with our words. We confess our sin. We admire His greatness. We praise Him in reverence. We pray. We sing with our words. We praise God, our Lord and Father. But then we turn around and we curse people. The word curse means to damn. It means to shun. And so we with our mouths can go from the the height of our existence, which is to give glory to God, to damning others with our words, from the highest to the lowest with our mouth. That's how extreme our words can be and how 
find the line in between what is good and evil is with our words. And he says, notice how he describes people who are made in the likeness of God, meaning made in the image of God. James constantly referring back to Genesis here. We were created in the image of God to take dominion, male and female. God rules. He created a place for us to rule. We stamp his image on the world. That's why we were created in his likeness. We were given the capacity to make right and wrong decisions. Unlike the rest of the planet, gravity is a law that just happens. Our speech comes from a choice, which is either right or wrong. Unlike the rest of the planet, we were created to make those right and wrong decisions. And we have the capability in the likeness of God to be known and to know God and have relationships with God and one another. James' point in using this word likeness is this. People created in God's image are amazing and complex and a wonder. They are God's capstone of creation. And looking at people created in the image of God, no matter who they are, should cause worship. Look what God has created in a person. Look what God has done in people created in His image. This is amazing. This should cause you to praise God. And yet, what it does because of our sinful hearts is it causes us to damn them. And He says here, my brothers... These things ought not be so. He actually says, how in the world is that even possible? That from the same mouth, worship of the creator and cursing of his creation, the capstone of his creation, the most complex of his creation, how in the world can worship come from that mouth and cursing of persons created in his image? That should not be. But it is a struggle, right? You, you have, you've been here today singing and praying and reading Scripture. Praising God the Father for the Gospel. And then you'll leave and you will think horrible things about your political enemies. And you will trash them your first opportunity. Created in the image of God. When you look at those who are against you or oppose you or don't line up with your agenda, do you ever stop and go, they should give me reason for worship in this moment? And grab your tongue and say, stop it. Even when you're right, even when you have the, the, the right convictions, it's still not right and it's still hypocritical to curse another person created in the image of God. To shun them. We pray to a sovereign God. You are sovereign. You control everything. You are ruling. You are reigning. Jesus, you are seated on the right hand of God. You moron! You cut me off in traffic. You don't believe what you were just saying. At all. I can't believe you made that call. That's horrible. Now, these are all things that I've said. You can see they're coming very natural from my mouth right now. Do you see how hypocritical that is though? Do you really believe the things you are saying to God and singing about Him and the wonder that is coming in worship from your mouth when you curse His creation? Especially humans created in the image of God. You don't. He says you're a hypocrite with your tongue. And this is why this is so confusing, befuddling to James. Verse 11, he says, does a spring pour forth the same from the same opening both fresh which is pure and salt water 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And what he's talking about here, whether he's talking about water or the tree, the water produces the water of its kind. If it's fresh, clean water, it will produce fresh, clean water from its source. And whatever tree we're talking about, will produce whatever it is from its root, from the seed, from the root, it will produce that kind of tree. It is the law of organic consistency. The water, the tree, the vine will produce the same of its kind. And his point is scary. (laughs) Because what he is saying here is from your heart, you produce words of your kind. The words coming out of your mouth come out of your mouth because they come from your heart. They come from the source, the mouth of the water. The spring produces clean, fresh, or salt water. The seed, the root, produces a certain kind of fruit. A sinful, wicked heart produces sinful, wicked words. That's his point. Bubbling from your heart are the words coming out of your mouth. If you don't think that's what James is saying here, Jesus himself said this. He says, from your mouth, the words coming from your mouth are the overflow of your heart. So whatever you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, whatever desires, whatever's ruling your heart, it will come out of your mouth eventually. And he told his disciples this. He says, it's not the food that you put in your body that makes you unclean. It's the words that come out of your mouth that declare you to be unclean. Why? Because deep inside you is your heart that is wicked and sinful. And your words paint a picture of who you are. Your words paint a picture of of what's going on inside of you, those desires. So if you're here today and you're, you're saying, James... I know you're using hyperbolic language. Let me get the word right. It's kind of extreme, James. I know you're just trying to prove a point, but that's not me. I'm not that wicked. What if we said to you, let's just play every word that you have spoken over the last month on the big screen? Every one of them. No, no, no. Not... The ones that I have texted that nobody knows about? Yeah, those two. What if we put them on the screen? It would be case closed in just one month that you are wicked, that your heart is sinful. The words that you speak. And the point of this whole section is this. Our tongues reveal our great need of the gospel because our tongues reveal the condition of our heart. If you don't think you need Jesus, listen to yourself talk. If you don't think you need Jesus, just go back and look through the things that you text and you comment and that you send. Go back and look through them. And then you should know I need the gospel. James' point here is this, and I I need you to listen as we start to finish. No man can tame his tongue. None. Nobody in here can do it. No man can tame his tongue because no man can change his heart. You can't change your heart. And this is why you need the gospel. Because the gospel is the only thing in the universe that is more powerful than your tongue. Because the gospel can change your heart. That's what you, that's his point. You need the gospel. Going back to earlier in James, you need to receive the implanted word that goes deep into your heart and begins to grow and it it changes your heart. And, And from the root out, we begin to see fruit. We begin to see life. We begin to see good things that come from our heart through our mouths. 
by the way that we talk. Why? Because the source has been changed by the gospel. You will continue to speak evil, wicked, like a demon until your heart is radically changed by the gospel. No amount of grit will change the way that you talk. Only the gospel can change the way that you talk. You must believe today the most important reality in the universe is that while you are sinful and your tongue proves that you are sinful, Jesus came and he suffered and he died for your sin on the cross and he lived a perfect righteous life in your place. And when you trust in him, his death is credited to you. His life is credited to you. You are accepted. You are made righteous by God. You believe that word. That word goes into your heart and it begins to change everything, even the way that you talk. This is how you know someone has been radically changed by the gospel because the way they talk begins to change. They may not change immediately, It's just like some of you in just a few weeks are going to go out to that pool behind your house and you're going to take the top off and it is green and it is nasty and you're going to throw in some some salt or whatever you do, chlorine tablets, and all of a sudden it is going to slowly go from green, nasty to clear. And sometimes it takes time for the gospel to do that in our heart. But the gospel is planted in the cesspool of wickedness in our heart and it begins to change and it begins to go from green and nasty and wicked and sinful to clear. And we are able to see it by the words that we speak. James last week says faith will produce works. Those works begin with your words. And how does it change our life? Changes the way we talk. We begin to realize when we have believed the gospel That the greatest things that we do in the world, the greatest, listen, the greatest things that you will do in your life will be done with your words. It boasts great things. And so when you believe the gospel, your commitment, your focus, your goal, your purpose is to use every word for God's glory. To boast in Christ, to boast in the gospel that He is Lord, that He is Savior, that He is King. And so... Going back to the teacher, the teacher must be careful to use his words for the sake of the gospel, to lead people to Jesus, what Jesus has done and who he is. And then those of us who believe the gospel, we must use our words to boast in Christ. You were condemned under a world of unrighteous words. And now in Christ, guess what? You are covered in his righteousness. And so what does that cause you to do? Boast in his righteousness. I have nothing in and of myself, no works that I can boast in before God. But you know what I can do? I can boast in the righteousness of Christ. What I've tried to do my whole life is exaggerate my resume and tell everybody how great and wonderful I am with my words. I don't have to do that anymore because of the gospel. I boast in Christ's righteousness and I don't have to exaggerate about him. I can never say too much good about Jesus. And so I use every word to boast in his righteousness. And his perfection covers every distracted word that has led people away from God's goodness. When I have whined and when I have complained and I've led people to think God is unfaithful, God isn't good, that is replaced by praise. No, he is sovereign and he is good and he has given me heaven instead of hell. And so I'm going to use my tongue, I'm going to use every word to praise him. So the gospel does in our life. Once stained by our words, we begin to confess sin using our words. When you confess your sin to God, believing He has forgiven you of your sin, what are you doing? You're boasting. And you're saying the cross is enough to wash away every wicked word. And what do you do to do that? You use your tongue to confess that. Once used by hell, Now our tongues are used for God's glory to boast in Jesus and tell his story. Gossip is replaced with evangelism. Listen, you want to stop gossiping? Start sharing the gospel. The words are very similar. Gossip the gospel. 
And that's what happens when you believe the gospel. Once you were careless and you were reacting with poisonous, hurtful words, and now the gospel has gripped your soul and you are careful and you walk around with the gospel. Instead of that, those darts of poison, you walk around with the vial of the gospel and you are looking for people who need the medicine of the gospel. Instead of trying to hurt, you're trying to heal. H-E-A-L. Some of you make fun of the way I say that. With the gospel. And so you're very careful. You're not careless with your words and you're walking around and you're saying, who needs the gospel today? I know you're really insecure about what's happened in your life and you need to believe that God is still good, that he still loves you. Let me, don't just think that. You need to start walking up to people and saying that to them. Praying. If you want to start there, that's good. But let's go further than that in the context of this church. Let's begin to walk up to people and begin to speak gospel into their lives. For some reason, well, it's because of our sin. We feel free to say whatever we want to. When we are using wicked, sinful speech. It's just easy to sin with our mouth. But when it comes to speaking the gospel, whether it's evangelism or encouraging others, we feel like we are paralyzed. The gospel should change that. Who today do you need to go to as soon as this service is over and offer them forgiveness with your words? Remind them of God's love with your words. Who do you need to honor? What neighbor out in the community do you need to love with your words? Because you realize today in honoring your neighbor, you honor the one who created them. And you're going to use your words to do that. That's what the gospel does in our life. And for those of us like myself who are still just so frustrated with your words, this is a reminder that Jesus is our only hope. Jesus was pure in heart. And think about this. Every word that came from his mouth blessed the Father. Every syllable loved his enemies. To the last one, it is finished on the cross. As he was destroyed in the hell, our words created and condemned us for. My evil words stained Jesus so his blood could cleanse my tongue and save my soul. That is our only hope. When you believe in Jesus, the word made flesh replaces all of your words. Why would, after understanding your tongue, why would you trust in anything else? And then the question is, how did we get ourselves into this stupidity? Well, it's our words. And the only thing that can get us out is the word. And his name is Jesus. Would you trust him today?